chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 4 through 11 tonight, uh, a study that I'm calling the Fantastic Forehead, and you'll see why in a minute. All right, are you done? Are you? Okay, let's, let's get into this. I don't know if Ezekiel would be excited about that or not, but anyway, <clears throat> English is not an easy language. Something that's close to what you might want to say could mean something completely different when translated. These are a few advertising slogans as they would be first translated into uh, English uh, from, their, uh, from another language. See if you can guess the original English version uh, uh, from the uh, foreign translation. The first one, eat your fingers off finger-licking good in Chinese. That's how the Chinese translated finger-licking good, eat your fingers off. <clears throat> this is an easy one. Are you lactating? Got milk, originally translated into Spanish for advertising in Mexico. And then this is, uh, this is a real slogan. I hadn't remembered it, but uh, you're not going to get this one. Suffer from diarrhea. That's the Spanish version of the Coors beer slogan, turn it loose. Did I say that? Anyway, now when we think about missions and missionaries, we're concerned about language barriers. One advantage to supporting native missionaries is that they already speak the language. And just a, a word of philosophy here at Calvary Hanford, Though there are always exceptions, are, uh, we're most interested in coming alongside of native missionaries, whether it be Gospel for Asia or native churches, local churches that we can help because they're already doing the work. They're men and women deserving of our help, and uh, it solves a, a lot of problems. They already speak the language. And that's why it's a little odd to read what God told Ezekiel in verses 5, 6, and 7. Let's read those, and then we'll come back and talk about them, of course. But he says in verse 5, For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you. God told Ezekiel that people of unfamiliar speech and hard language would have listened, whereas the Israelites who he would speak to in their own language as one of them would not listen to him. Ezekiel faced a language barrier, but of a very different kind. It was a spiritual language barrier. It was the result of their hardened hearts. The Israelites, God's elect people, were more hardened against God than were the surrounding pagan nations. He said to Ezekiel, if I had sent you to the surrounding nations, they would have heard you. But my people are not going to hear you. Now, I want to stop before going any further and at least acknowledge that it is possible for us, even as God's elect, to be more hardened against him than non-believers who are surrounding us. I'm not suggesting that we are, only that we remain a people who hears what the Spirit says to the churches. God is working to mold and to shape us into the image of his Son. 
Are we moldable? Are we pliable? What changes can we see in our lives uh, and, and, and can others identify that reveal the potter's hands have been upon us working in our lives? And so now, let's delve into the text to further understand the language barrier Ezekiel faced. And so we begin in verse 4. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Ezekiel had just eaten the scroll containing God's message to his people who were in exile and captivity. He had a message to bring them. My words, he says, and Ezekiel was his messenger. You and I, of course, are God's messengers. We're sent to certain people. It's usually based on where we live and work. Those people are our audience. Uh, you know, we, we have certain free will decisions that we make. Of course, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be praying about these things. And, and uh, I think, you know, if you're in a place that's not a place of sin or rebellion or disobedience, then you can be confident that how, whatever decision-making process you thought you went through, God overruled that. And you are among the people that you ought to be among. You've been sent to those people, those people in your neighborhood, where you work, uh, where you hang out. That is your audience, your particular audience. Um, we are to bring those folks the word. We do it from our general study and understanding of the Bible. But I think we should also depend upon the Lord for his anointing to know exactly what to say about his word to the particular audience that we are addressing. Uh, in, in terms of just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we believe as Christians that we're born again and the Holy Spirit indwells us. And he's able to prompt us to, and we're able to be sensitive to things that a certain person might need to say. All of us have our own kind of spiritual hobbies, whether it would be apologetics or uh, prophecy or something. That, I mean, something that we'd really like to talk about. I mean, if... if you know, I get really excited, uh, you know, more than anything else about talking about prophecy. And so if I can steer the conversation there, that's great. Uh, but that's not always what somebody needs. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's a great part of the word, uh, but it, it may not be hitting what they're going through. And so I, I have to be a little bit sensitive and think, now, what, what is God, what is this person presenting? You know, where are they coming from? And a lot of times it, it doesn't even have to do with anything logical. It's not what they're even asking. Jesus was great at this. You remember, my fam the favorite one is with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes and he starts talking to Jesus and he's talking to him and asking him some things and Jesus says, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything about being born. I didn't ask you that. And, and Jesus just knew from his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit uh, who was within him that he was to talk to him about that subject. And so we just have to remain sensitive. We need to know the word and we can be excited about the parts of the word that we're excited about. Nothing wrong with that, but we want to be sensitive to talk to somebody in a way that ministers to them. And then in verse 5, he says, You are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Now note the emphasis on Ezekiel being sent. It's a great word. It's filled with power and with purpose. It indicates that God had a plan to send Ezekiel and to send you to a very specific post of service. Uh, you were sent to that place. 
where you're to serve. Now, Jacob, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but he reminded me recently of some homespun pastoral wisdom. When discussing different people who say they are serving the Lord, uh, southern pastors used to say there are some who were sent and some who just went. And, and I like that, you know, and if, if it bears repeating. I know I just went over this not too long ago, but it's so important. Some people have God's leading and therefore his empowering. Others muscle their way into a position or into a ministry. They talk about their giftedness and their supposed abilities and those kinds of things as, as if God needs us. You know, uh, it, you know, God is always interested in the heart. He's not really, we'll see even with Ezekiel, he's not interested in the result. Uh, and so we have to be careful that we just don't go on our own, but that we wait on the Lord and let him send us. You don't want to be one who just went. And one way, I think a very biblical way to know if someone is sent or went would be the decision of the leadership of a particular church. When Paul and Barnabas were set apart for the mission by the Holy Spirit, God worked in and through the leaders of that church at Antioch. Uh, they were praying together, seeking the Lord's direction. And the text there says, The Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Barnabas and uh, Paul for the work that I have called them to. And we believe probably that one of the men there in that meeting, one of the church leaders, had a word of prophecy and said, you know, hey, the, I, I really feel like the Lord is saying this to Barnabas and Paul right now that he has set you apart to go on this work. And then they continued to fast and pray after that. And then they laid their hands on them and sent them out. And so there was a lot of involvement by a body of Christ. Uh, if you listen to part of or any of Gino's study on the emergent church, which is another, the Sunday night series on apologetics is, is a must, but one of the kind of subsidiary tenets of this emergent church movement is that the organized church uh, is really unnecessary, even though a lot of these guys have big organized churches. It, it's like, it's unnecessary. You're just a Christian and you don't really need a church and you don't need church leadership. And and, you know, I, I guess I can understand the criticism, but I read, you know, then I get back, well, let's read the Bible. And it says there was something called the church and it had something called deacons and elders and pastors and leadership and all of that. And they laid hands on people and they prayed for one another and they served one another and they sent one another out and they did those kinds of things. And, and to me, it seemed pretty successful if you read the book of Acts. It seemed phenomenally successful to follow that kind of a thing. And so these guys come along now and they say, well, we don't really need that kind of organization. Uh, you know, it just go out and do whatever you want. And uh, you, you don't need any real leadership because you've got the Holy Spirit. And, you, re, you know, God seems to like to work through that. And, and so back to our point, one of the ways that you know if you're really being sent is, does anybody else, is anybody sending you? Or are you looking for a way to be sent? How many doors are you going to knock on before they actually, oh, yeah, I'll send you? Because you can always find somebody. I mean, so, you know, sometimes we just need to wait on the Lord. God is doing a work in our life. God anointed David, Samuel anointed David to be king. By my calculations, it was about 13 years, maybe 15 years before David was king. And he had a lot of cave dwelling to do running from Saul, learning lessons, valuable lessons. One time he was coming to kill Nabal. He'd had it with Nabal. It's a great story. 
David and his mighty men were protecting Nabal and the other uh, ranchers and farmers from the raiding Philistines and they were expecting some payment out of the crop and when they came to get the payment Nabal said who's David I don't know any David he wasn't going to pay him and so David heard about it and he said gear up and all of his men geared up and he goes we're going to waste Nabal he's going to hear about me he's going to hear I'm going to cut his head off I mean he was mad and one guy he didn't want mad at you was David this morning as our men's thing Gino is teaching he's doing a series called Battle Ready and we were talking about David I mean you know that guy could sing you know he could play the harp no doubt about it he could tend sheep but he could also kill lions and bears and he killed people I mean he was a he was a warrior so he's on his way to kill Nabal Nabal's wife Abigail who's got to want this guy dead he's, his name means fool this is my way out thank you Lord finally you sent David to kill my husband but she has the sensitivity as a woman of God to know that this isn't right I, I don't want to inherit by murder and and she goes out she stops David and essentially she says David it's not right for you the king a man of God to murder Nabal and he's just he had to learn that lesson from Abigail at that time so there was a lot for David to learn before he could be king Moses same thing hey let's go with this deliverance thing I see how it works you're beating up uh, an, an Israelite I'm gonna kill you that's not God's plan at all and so he had to spend f how many years 40 years in the desert until he said hey I'm I don't think I want to do this send my brother to do it God says no I'll let him talk for you, but you're going. Now you're ready. You've been tending sheep for 40 years. You're a nobody. You've been reduced. You understand how I work now. Now you can stand in front of your people and just, while they're complaining and wishing that they had never left, you can hold up my staff over the Red Sea and say, just, hey, guys, watch. Just watch this. I've checked this out. We're going to go over on dry ground. The Egyptian army is going to be drowned. It's going to be cool. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing. So a lot of times we need to be prepared. We're always looking at, this is what I want to do. I want to be sent here. I think I'm gifted to do that. I'm ready. And God says, maybe you can do it at some level, a physical level. You can say the words, you can be in the position, but you can't do it on a spiritual level that really represents my heart and my concern and my passion for my people. Not until you meet your Abigail. Not until you come to your Red Sea. Not until you live in some caves for a while and confront the decision whether you're going to kill Saul or not, which is a whole other story. And so very important that we, we, you know, we don't look at uh, you know, gifting in that sense, but that we looked at, at character. A lot of lone rangers out there doing their own thing. They may attend a church, but they have no real accountability to it. They just went, and they keep on, as I say, wenting wherever they go. They're just wenting along. Now, on the surface, this assignment for Ezekiel might seem easy. Now, we know it's not, but there's no language barriers to overcome. There's no cultural rules to learn. There's no weird food to eat, or so he thinks. He's going to have some kind of weird episodes that I can't wait to get to when he starts using props uh, to illustrate the the things that the Lord is teaching but I mean as far as you know hey I want you to go you know talk to your own people who whose language you already know you don't have to learn some crazy language 
a few years ago, I got a GPS, a Garmin GPS for the car, and um, I wasn't paying attention. It, it worked out okay, but there were two different ones, uh, the same same uh, model number, but there were two on the, and I just, I got one and it came. I found out I got the Asian version. And so it has English and then six or seven Asian languages instead of the English version that also has Spanish and French and stuff like that. So I have to be really careful to not push the button that puts it into Mandarin Chinese or else I won't know how to get back, you know, you know, and stuff. Uh, Although I'm tempted to do that if you ever borrow my car. But, uh, you know, and so there's no language barrier as far as Ezekiel was concerned, but it would prove to be a very difficult assignment. There's no way to know the response that you're going to receive. And so in verse 6, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand, surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. The first part of verse 6 reminds me that God wanted to save Gentiles. He wanted Israel as a nation to be his witness to the Gentiles, to be a light to the world. God is mighty to save. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. His call is to whosoever will believe. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world, especially those who believe. I have no patience with those who would seek to limit the gospel call in any way. Let's not get sidetracked with intellectual arguments that exclude most of the members of the human race from being among the elect. Let's not give credence to the conclusion that God has predestined billions of people to go to hell. Is that the gospel? No. Here's the thing I say about that. There are theologies that lead you to that conclusion. You don't have to believe that. You can. You you can be a Christian and follow that uh, five-point Reformation doctrine. You can. I'm not saying those people aren't. That's great. You can believe that if you want. You don't have to believe it because it's just a systematic theology. It's an interpretation of certain verses. You can believe that God is mighty to save, that his call is to whosoever will, and and that Jesus uh, is the savior of the whole world, especially those who believe. You can believe that. Why not believe that? Why conclude something that the Bible never teaches, that God has predestined people to go to hell? Now, it, it evades me, except for the intellectualism that's behind it. Now, Ezekiel must be thinking, let me go to the foreigners then. There's a mission there. Hey, you're telling me, God, that if I go to them, they're going to listen, so I'm ready. Let's go. I've got my language school going here. Rosetta Stone, you know, is coming my way. I'll learn their language. I Just a few key phrases, and they'll get saved. That wasn't his calling, though. God would see to the Gentiles. He had other means by which to reach them. God, you know, everybody's worried about, you know, how's God doing this and how's he going to reach that? But God knows what he's doing. Acts 17, it says he scattered people all over the world so that they would seek after him. And so I'm not worried anymore about those things. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I trust that God has a plan to send people or to, to get the gospel witness to all these other individuals. It's pretty easy to get sidetracked while you're serving the Lord. In fact, this is something that we really need to guard against. 
there's so many good things you can get involved with, so many missions and ministries. I mean, there are, I could name right now uh, maybe a hundred different missions that we could be involved with as a church, a and all of them good. What we need to do is get with God about what He wants us to do, not what others are pressuring us to do or, or just different things that we want to do. God, Remember, God is sending us to serve and as a church he sends us in certain directions as well as we wait upon the Lord sometimes I can't always explain it there, there seems to be a leading about it that you just kind of you know it's almost like follow, literally like following a lead those of you who do you know detective work or something you get to follow up on a lead and you kind of move in different direct there's never any real rhyme or reason to it for uh, I don't know how many months we've been trying to get in touch with our contacts in Peru about going back to Peru and doing, you know, because we've gone there m many years, several missions and all, and we, you know, no contact back, you know, we, we send support, we hear things, but we're just not connecting. And then all of a sudden, uh, Pastor Carlos's wife, Gilda, she has a medical need. He's up in Pucallpa in Peru. He's, that's the church that we've been visiting. And so we send some money, about $400, to, to handle her medical needs. Well, then I find out through email that she didn't receive it. So I call the Calvary through whom we send the money, and they say, well, you need to get in touch with Pastor Lucho. And we say, man, we've been trying to get in touch with Lucho for about a year. So I email him. He emails me back like within five minutes, it seems like, you know. And he says, here's the problem. They've changed the rules in uh, Peru. I can only withdraw $200 at a time, and I can only do it three times in a month, or else they hit you with fees that are exorbitant. So he worked it out. He said, I've got this all worked out. I gave them their, you know, he got them their $400, and he worked all that out. And then I'm reading his email, and he says, and Pastor Gene, let me tell you about Pastor Jorge Chavez up in Iquique, Chile, who's just starved for fellowship and dying for somebody to come and visit. And then next thing I know, we're translating messages to him. And yes, please come. You know, we can't wait until you get here. We're a, we, a, you know, we have a skate park ministry. They have a big skate park down there, you know, and stuff. And so we send them our video, our skate park video. They're like, wow, you know. Alex doesn't know it, but I've been telling him secretly that Alex is a champion skateboarder. But <laughs> oh, that's not true. But uh, anyway, so, so if you ask me, yeah, uh, so now we believe that that's how God is leading. And you say, well, what about this mission over here, or this ministry? Whoa, hey, that sounds great. But we're not doing that. Uh, I, we're just, there, there wasn't really a door there. You know, there, there was, there's a window. I see it through the window. Hey, how you guys doing out there, you know, in that ministry? That's, that's good luck. God bless you. You know, there's other churches that are going to support you because this is what we're doing. Why? We're following God's lead. In our own lives, we don't get sidetracked. It's really hard sometimes. People want, they pull you here, they pull you there. Let's do this, let's do that. Nehemiah, great study for this. Nehemiah says, I am building a wall. I don't have time to go meet with you. I don't have time for, I don't have time for what you want to do because I am building the wall. And I'm focused on that. Maybe some other time we can have tea or crumpets or whatever they did, you know, in those days. But uh, we're not doing that right now. So verse 7, the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Since Ezekiel would be speaking God's word to them, then in rejecting him, they were rejecting God. 
The Word of God stands true, inspired, and authoritative, whether someone believes it is or not. When someone rejects what you are saying to them from the Word, they are rejecting God. So you shouldn't feel rejected. You shouldn't feel, you know, like you, you just, well, did you share the Word with them? Yes. Then they're rejecting God. You're just the messenger. Why do people reject the Word that is so full of grace and mercy and forgiveness? Well, first of all, make sure that it is. As Jacob was saying tonight, we want to share the grace of God when people who are bound up in sin or in legalism or in religion, when they hear that God, they can be saved by God's grace freely through faith in Jesus Christ, it's an amazing uh, experience. Why would people reject that? Why will they not be reconciled with God? Well, in the case of Israel, they were impudent and hard-hearted. One commentator said of them, they were strong of front and hard of heart. They were impudent outwardly. They refused to budge or to blush. They sinned openly. They were hard-hearted inwardly. They had no tenderness or sensitivity to the things of God. Unwatered ground grows hard. If you quit watering your heart with the Word of God, it will grow hard. And eventually your behavior will become impudent, stubborn. Just a cursory reading of the Word or attending a service isn't what we mean by watering your heart. The idea is to be producing fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Israelites, uh, Israelites were set on a kind of religious cruise control. Everything was outward and habitual. The inner man, their inner man was dying of spiritual thirst and they didn't realize it. At the beginning of verse 7, God made it clear that they will not listen. This is a matter of their will, of their free choice. They decided to not listen in a way that would bring repentance leading to obedience. Now, verse 8, Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. If they got into a staring match, Ezekiel would win. Do you like to do stare downs? I think they're cool. Just staring somebody down to see who's going to blink. Ezekiel was going to win. He was not going to look away no matter their response. If they butted foreheads, Ezekiel would be like a ram against them. I've never understood the art of the headbutt. You, know, you see this in movies. Maybe those of you who are into you know, mixed martial arts or something can explain this to me, but it seems like it would hurt you too. Your head butting someone else's head. I know you're the initiator of the butt. It just doesn't seem good. Ezekiel wasn't a harsh, unfeeling guy. It was going to seem that way to them, though, because of his face and his forehead. God's saying, I mean, you know, I don't know how literal this is, but God's saying your face is going to be, you know, you're going to stare them down with the hardest forehead they've ever seen. They're, they're going to come against you, and if they do, they're just going to bounce off. You're going to be the last man standing. It got me thinking. If someone, let's say a spiritual leader perhaps, seems to be giving you a hard time, then maybe, just maybe, it's because you are giving God a hard time. Do you ever think about that? I don't because I always think I'm right. But it's a lot of times if somebody seems to be giving me a hard time, they're not in sin, there's nothing really wrong, it's just they seem to be giving me a hard time, they're not going for my idea or, you know, going in my direction, then maybe they are my Ezekiel. And I'm like, you know, trying to, trying to stare them down. I'm going to stare you down, Pastor Gene. Here comes my head, you know, and, and you know, and you're just, you're the one. And so it's, it's at least a possibility. We are resistant to change or insistent that our changes be implemented. 
We may not even realize we're doing it, but God does. And he wants to soften us because he has something new for us, something different. If we won't soften, then he will put in front of us someone with a stronger forehead. Until he, I mean, God's going to have his way in our life. And he'll just keep bringing people up who are strong against us for our own good so that we don't go in a way that really isn't good for us and for others. Our response to being spiritually headbutted says a lot about how spiritual we really are. So if you feel like you're butting heads with somebody and it hurts a little bit, then what's your response? Leave it to the Lord. Verse 9, like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel may have been the first Marvel comic superhero. His forehead was like adamant stone. In the comic universe, there's a fictional substance called adamantium. Some of you know this. It's virtually indestructible. It's the substance of Captain America's shield. And it has been uh, grafted to Wolverine's skeleton. Adamantium. No X-Men fans here? Come on, you can admit that. Adamantium. And so he had an adamantium forehead. Well, it's adamant, but... And so I, this is why I thought we needed a name for Ezekiel. The fantastic forehead was my suggestion. That's where that came from. Back to the 6th century before Christ, Ezekiel was told, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. It's like a great bumper sticker for his, you know, or a sign on his house. You know, Joshua had the cool sign, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you imagine... He probably had that in his house. Now we have it in our house. I mean, that's the original Joshua saying. You go into Ezekiel's house, it was like, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. I like that. It's kind of, it would have sold, it was just like the prayer of Jabez. It would have sold millions if there was a market for it in those days. He had nothing to fear but God. Fear of man would save him mental and physical anguish, but only in the short run. The word for dismayed can be translated broken or shattered. He was God's vessel and he could not allow himself to be broken by mere men. The devil is out to scare you. He wants to break you. Fear only God. Trust that you have his treasure in earthen vessels that cannot be broken. How do you do that? How do you build that trust against what seems to be so overwhelming? Verse 10, moreover, he said to me, son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. The answer lies in your relationship with Jesus, as always. It lies in listening to the Lord in private as you walk with him. And notice the order here. It's kind of interesting. Ezekiel was told to receive into his heart. Then he was told to hear with his ears. That would seem the opposite of the normal order of things. If I was writing this, not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would say, hear with your ears and receive into your heart. Now, we talked about predispositions in, I think, our last study. Ezekiel was to be predisposed to receiving the word of God. He was to be a receiver, ready to receive. Thus, whenever he heard the word, it was immediately received and assimilated into his heart. In other words, I have already determined that whatever God's word really actually says, that is what I believe, and that is how I'm going to behave. No matter how hard or weird it might seem at first, God's commands, therefore, are God's enablings for me. And then in verse 11, And go get to the captives and to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. 
Focus on the word captives. The Hebrews were in a bad way. In one sense, you might not blame them for being hard-hearted. After all, God had allowed them to be taken captive and exiled. Of course, you'd be wrong to blame God. Their very captivity was a show of love from God. It was a chastening of them from their father. It was the, it's a big version of getting a spanking is what it is. It's a chastening. It's a discipline. For a child to despise the chastening of his loving father, foolishness. To become hard-hearted and bitter and rebellious doesn't help. It only hinders and makes matters worse. Their suffering was designed by God to soften them, not harden them. So too in our lives, we can be made better or we can grow bitter. Now, a sub-theme we could develop in Ezekiel as we follow his ministry is that results are not up to us. They're up to God. You need to know you are where God has sent you, saying what he's spoken to you, and then you leave results up to him. Even in their stubborn rebellion, God was reaching out to them. His hard-headed prophet was just the person they needed for what they had brought upon themselves. It wouldn't do for them to have some mealy-mouthed, thin-skinned ear tickler. They needed hard truths delivered in a bold manner if they were to survive this captivity. I mean, God had determined, you guys are going into captivity, that's it. You're going to be there for 70 years, and then I'll bring you back. Uh, but this is going to be for the long haul. They needed somebody who understood the times and who could tell them, at, like we say, as it is. Seems to be a movement within biblical Christianity to change the way we address non-believers at least. The argument is that a fundamentalist understanding of the Bible as the unique, inspired, authoritative Word of God is no longer relevant. We need, they say, to be more inclusive uh, in order to really reach this postmodern culture. For example, the de facto leader of the emergent church, Brian McLaren, is going to be celebrating Ramadan this year, the holy month of fasting and prayers among Muslims. Relevant? or ridiculous well I say it's at least reckless the gospel hasn't changed it's a universal message for the universal need of mankind it can break all language barriers to bring salvation and all spiritual language barriers we can be contemporary but we don't need to be apologetic the word of God it's the power of God unto salvation amen amen praise the Lord Jake's gonna join me and uh we would uh, 